0: you joined us today we're excited because we are starting our new sermon series called priceless we're going to be unpacking the book of 2 peter and so you can feel free to turn there so long as that you're ready for the sermon if you'd like to come and enjoy this series with us in person you can go and sign up at sterlingbaptist.com forward slash sign up you'll see there that you can choose to sign up for december as well as our christmas services we're going to be celebrating together on christmas eve as well as two services on christmas morning so please don't forget to sign up for that With December just around the corner, it also means that it's time to sign up once again for In The Bag. In The Bag is our children's curriculum that continues the faith journey at home. This time when you sign up, you'll be signing up for both December and January as no one's gonna be doing deliveries in the last week of December. So please make sure you don't miss out on that. That's it from me for today. I'm gonna hand over to one of our elders who will pray us into the service. Have a great day, guys. Good morning, everybody. Greetings from the woods. Our scripture that we have on our hearts for you today comes from uh, Philippians chapter 2 and in verse 1 it says, If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And we just want to say it's such a blessing to be a part of this fellowship It's such a blessing to be united together in christ and we uh, hope that you are blessed by the sermon and we pray that the lord will prepare our hearts as we uh, listen to it now now lord jesus we just we come together in front of you and we just pray that you will really help us to listen to the sermon and to um, be able to put what we learn today into practice in the weeks to come, Lord. We pray for unity in our church and for unity amongst our congregations. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Over to you, Matt. to our Sunday online service. We have wrapped up our previous series called Getting Ready to Together, and we are delighted to open up this new series called Priceless. And we're gonna be journeying through the book of 2 Peter, and uh, it is a wonderful, wonderful letter. And uh, to kick us off today, I'm going to be reading the first two verses of this letter. And so let's turn to 2 Peter chapter one, verse one to two. It says, Simeon or Simon Peter, servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now I'm going to get to the reason why we've decided to call this series Priceless, but it's always good. Before we do that, it's always good to stop, and when you read a letter of the New Testament or a book of the, New, of the Bible even, to know a bit of the history around what's the occasion for this writer, uh, uh, for the writing of this letter. And we know that uh, Peter, the apostle Peter, the fisherman Peter that Jesus called, wrote this letter. And it's a very moving letter, it's a very poignant letter because Peter's about to die. It says in verse 14, Since I know that the putting off of my body will be seen, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. Christ prophesied the death of Peter. And we know that after writing this letter, he died shortly under the terrible persecution of Christians um, instigated by the emperor Nero. And uh, the tradition has it that Peter did not want to be crucified the same way as Christ. And so he opted to be crucified upside down. And Peter uh, was crucified in Rome because that's where he stayed for 25 years. Rome was his base from about AD 45 to 67. And although Rome was his base, he would take his wife along and he would travel to various areas around the Mediterranean. In particular, he was clearly responsible for and very close to churches in the Asia Minor area. That's modern day Turkey, sort of Western Northern Turkey. We know in the first epistle that he wrote, the first letter in verse 1 of the first chapter. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia, these were all Roman provinces. And so it's a letter written to a number of churches, not just to one. And uh, it's very poignant, as I said, because in essence, this is Peter's deathbed conversation. It's weighty, he's only got this last chance to tell these people what he wants to tell them. And so he's choosing his words carefully. He's choosing the most important things that he wants them to remember after he's gone. And so it's a very poignant book, this. It's a very uh, special letter. And so we already see uh, in my next uh, uh, subheading under this introduction is what the purpose of this letter is. Why did he write this letter? Well, he wants them to remember the summary of his teaching to them. In verse 15 of the first chapter, it says, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. His great concern is that they remember his instruction to them in the Lord. But the other reason why he writes this letter is he wants them to see how precious and priceless their faith is. And that's where this term for our series comes from, priceless. That's Where Peter starts, and that's where he wants them to orientate around, what he wants them to orientate around, is the priceless nature of their faith. He says in in the very first verse of this opening chapter of the letter, he says, To them that have obtained, or you can say received, a faith of equal standing, which could also be translated of equal value, of equal price, equally precious as ours. He talks about He wants them to see how precious and very great these promises in Christ that they've received. This faith that they have, it is the greatest thing that has happened to them and far greater than anything this world has to offer. That is what he wants them to start off with and orientate around. But he also, he wants them to not only see the pricelessness of this faith that they've received in Christ, but he wants them to grow. You see, Peter understands, as we need to today, that Receiving this priceless gift of faith is only the beginning. This faith is like a seed, and all of the power and potential is in the kernel of that seed. But that seed needs to be planted in a heart, and it needs to be nourished and nurtured with certain things so that it grows. A seed can turn into an oak, but you have to add some things to it. You have to nourish it and guard it. It's priceless. It needs nurturing. It needs guarding. It needs nourishment. And that's what Peter wants his guys to see, is that the pricelessness of their faith needs to be translated into them treasuring this faith through application and nurturing and nourishment and guarding of it. And that's what comes through in the second verse of this opening chapter. Paul wants this faith to impact their lives. He wants them to furnish out this faith. And it comes through, it says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ, our Lord is Paul is saying that he wants to see them have this faith, working this faith out into all of these areas of their lives. And it's, it's very beautiful. This, this uh, word for knowledge in the knowledge of verse two epigenosis, it means to have knowledge acquired from preliminaries, or in other words, you start off with a little bit of understanding and you work it out to a full knowledge. That's what Peter wants these guys to do. He wants this precious faith to be the thing that they think about and apply themselves to and guard and nourish and nurture more than anything else in this world. And in essence, the whole summary of Second Peter comes through in these first two verses of it. The first verse is is Peter wants them to see how great their salvation is, how wonderful it is. Ah, And the second verse is that they would multiply it out. It would be multiplied into their experiences in everyday living. He wants to see them come to a full knowledge and growth in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's how the book ends. It says in chapter 3, verse 18, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The last reason for the purpose of writing this epistle is that he knows that these Christians are facing a lot of dangers. You see, the Christian life is full of challenges and trials and difficulties, and he understands it. In actual fact, the Christian life is quite treacherous. I was thinking about that verse that we don't often focus on. In the, in the hymn, Amazing Grace, written by John Newton, he says this, he says, Through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. That's what the Christian life is. And Peter, being such a good shepherd, such a good elder, he knows that these guys are in danger, as we all are as, as believers. These, but particularly these Christians are facing difficulties on the outside, In 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 6, he says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. These guys are facing pressure in the circumstances and relationships um, of their lives. They're experiencing hardships. So he knows they're facing dangers from without, but they're also facing dangers from within. And he says that they have to be careful of these dangers, and that's the purpose of Second 2 Peter is one of the great dangers that face the Christian within is forgetfulness. That might sound a bit strange to you, but I will put it to you this morning. The two most dangerous things in the Christian life are ignorance and forgetfulness. If you don't grow in the knowledge, that's why the second verse of this first chapter says, that grace and peace might be multiplied to you in the knowledge, coming to a full knowledge of God and Jesus Christ your Lord is if you lack knowledge, and it comes through again in chapter one later on, it says, to your faith, you must add zeal, ah, determination, but then you must also add knowledge. It comes very soon in your faith. You have to grow in the knowledge of God. Ignorance is going to be a threat to you experiencing the fullness of your salvation in this life. You will not be able to furnish out your salvation if you remain ignorant. That's why we devoted to the apostles' teaching. If we go back to Acts chapter 2:42, it is vital for our progress in the Lord. Ah, but that wasn't the problem with these 2 uh, Peter Christians. It was the risk of their forgetfulness. And friends, this is more of a threat to you and me than what we like to think. You see, he says, he's worried about some of these, these Christians in, in these churches of, of Asia Minor. They're in a bit of spiritual trouble. They're a bit backslidden, some of them, not all of them. And he says, guys, guys, for whoever lacked these qualities, he's so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Some of these guys are stumbling into neglect and backsliding because they've simply forgotten the greatness, the pricelessness of their salvation. And therefore he says in verse 12, Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. If you practice these qualities, you will never fall. And therefore, I always intend to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth. What he is saying is, Brothers and sisters in Christ, be careful of forgetfulness. That nearsightedness means you begin to lose focus of what things really are or how things really are. And you begin to become nearsighted. This world becomes much to you. The troubles of this world become much to you. The performance and disappointments and circumstances and pleasures of this world, it all becomes nearsighted. And that is the greatest threat to the believer moving on in his or her faith of being able to furnish out this faith, of being coming to a full knowledge of God. And I want to make the point today that we must remember all the time we are all at risk of falling into forgetfulness. And the proof of 2 Peter is that growth is not a foregone conclusion for the born-again believer. The fact that we have received the seed of faith, this incredible gift, as we will see in a moment, does not necessarily mean we will go to apply it de facto or, or um, as a fate complete, But rather, my friends, you and I have to apply this faith. And Peter is so concerned in writing this letter that these people run well. As Paul put it, they finish the race, they fight the good fight, and they enter into glory with the great inheritance. And so Peter, knowing all of this, he wants to guard and grow these people. He wants these people to guard and grow in their priceless and precious faith. And so today, really, it's a very simple sermon, but I only have two points um, after giving this introduction to the the text. The first point I want to say today is this, is, is that we are to see our faith in Jesus as the most priceless thing in our possession. We are to see our faith in Jesus as the most priceless thing in our position. I'll read you verse one again. It comes through so beautifully. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained or received a faith of equal standing, remember that equal standing, of equal value, equal preciousness with ours. He's talking about us apostles. By the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, Peter wants these guys to see their faith in Jesus as the most priceless thing. Now why? We must start there. Why is it so important that these Christians are to see how priceless their faith in Christ is? You see, Peter understands how you and I work. This is very important. You and I... As part of our maturing requires us to understand how we work, how we put together, and how this faith is to be applied and grown and nourished in our lives. And you see, Peter knows as a good pastor, he knows that we as human beings give ourselves to and God what we think is valuable in this life. We give ourselves to and God what we think is valuable in this life. Some of us give a lot of our time and effort and energy to our friends because they're important to us. Friendships are of value to us. Or some of us give ourselves to our studies because good grades are important, are of value to us. Or some of us give ourselves to work because a feeling of success and achievement is important to us. Some of us give ourselves to exercise and to diet and to comfort and to family Or to be recognized or accepted by other people. Because we so value what other people think about us. And friends, this is the point that Peter understands. We prioritize our lives around the things we value. You prioritize your life around the things that you value. Do you want to know what you value most in this life? It's what you build your life around. It's what you allow to drive, run, or control your life. And it's really important to stop from time to time. It's a good exercise, it's an honest exercise, but to be really frank and rigorous with yourself and to go examining yourself and saying, you know, what's important, or what in the way that I am living am I valuing in my life? Ask yourself the question right now, think about the thing that dominates your life, Thing that you build your life around and value. a thing that you're so preoccupied with. Friends, I'll tell you what. It'll be around what you value. And this is the point, and Peter knows it. What We will lay down our life for what we value. We will lay down our life for what we value. And you might think, oh no, that can't be me. Well, it, it really is not difficult to prove. Some of us watching here today... Have picked up and absorbed extra tasks in the office and you don't really like it but you'll do it because you can't say no to that colleague who keeps passing on work to you. Why? Because you value that person's approval more than anything else and you are killing yourself. You are laying down your life to pick up extra work because you don't want to lose that person's approval or you are killing yourself today Because you want to be recognized in your work. You want the recognition and significance of those around you. Or how many of us are getting up at insane hours of the morning at the cost of sleep to exercise? as things of value for you. You'll even wake up at four o'clock in the morning or sacrifice your sleep. Some of us know what it's like to sacrifice our families. Maybe you're doing it right now on the altar of success. Your life is being dominated by the desire to achieve. Or maybe you've sacrificed your career and sense of success in that area for the sake of your family. You're laying down your life for your family. You're earning less. Maybe not earning anything at all. And you're living a tougher life financially because it's a value for you. Family is a value. You're going to lay down your life for your family. Or maybe it is a loss of health to amass wealth. You know, whenever I see a very wealthy person, I often think to myself, what does it cost them to get to this place? Let me tell you, it was not gotten or given to them as an easy ride. You see, we, unlike the way that we, we don't think we're laying down our lives for anything in 21st century human beings, but we are. We are. We are laying down our lives for the things that we value in this life. And and. The apostle Peter is just simply carrying on the teaching of Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is, you know, what drives what value what you value drives what you go after and desire and make much of in this life. And it comes through in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Jesus says, Your heart, in other words, the seat of your will, your passion, and desire and motivation, your heart is where your treasure lies. You treasure equally what you value most in this life. What is the most valuable things in your life? That's what you're going to give your life to. That's the direction of your passion and your energy and motivation in life. And hence, I'm taking my time because I want us to understand how we work. You know, That's, that's one of the difficulties we, we have as Christians is we don't understand ourselves. But the gospel and God's word helps us understand ourselves correctly. And Peter understands these Christians. He understands you and me. He says, man, that when it comes to the value of our faith, We must see it as the most priceless and valuable thing in comparison to all other things on offer in this world. Because if we can see it and keep it in focus and not get nearsighted and forgetful, but we keep ourselves enjoying and remembering and delighting in this faith, our hearts will follow and we will have great motivation. We will lay down our lives for what we value. We will lay down our lives for this faith. We will give ourselves wholeheartedly to this glorious gift of faith that Jesus has given us, or we received in Christ. You see, what I'm, I'm trying to help us see here is, this is the secret of keeping us motivated in the Christian life. Peter, you ask me what the great risk of the Christian life is, it's it's this demotivation, this instability, where Peter's giving us the secret of how to stay motivated, how to keep going, with a sense of what but the Bible talks about the joy of the Lord being our strength. You see, we all go through times where we get discouraged, right? And we lackluster and we demotivated and we spiritually depressed for various reasons. We're even a bit and Every believer knows what this is like. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe after preaching our Acts chapter 242 series of being devoted to the apostles, teaching the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the praise, you're going, man, I just don't feel devoted to anything in the Lord right now. And so in fact, I'm quite depressed. I just feel so demotivated. Well, how are you going to recover? Because Peter is not only preaching to those who are in a good space in this letter, he's speaking to those who are battling, like you this morning, if that's you. And he knows That the way that we normally try and get ourselves in order doesn't work. The way that we normally do it is we start to talk harshly to our hands. In other words, it's a a picture of saying, you better do this. Matt, you better make sure you do that. You better make sure you do that. You better make sure that you're devoted to the apostles' teaching. You better make sure you're devoted to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. Or else, we try and speak harshly to our hands. And this is what we tend to do by nature. And there is a place for this. I don't want to be totally extreme, particularly in areas of our lives where we're prone to laziness um, or, you know, in other words, there's certain areas of your life you just know you, you let yourself off the hook too quickly and cave too easily. These are places to fortify ourselves and say, hey, hey, come down, now come. You can't go down the road, it's not good for you. And to help get ourselves, keep ourselves in line. But generally speaking, friends, a lack of motivation and interest in the Christian life is more a sign of the sickness of the heart than the weakness of the hands. In other words, willpower, passion, enthusiasm, energy flows from the heart. And that's what Peter realizes is he's got to get to these guys hearts. If he's ever going to help them with their hands, He's got stuff he wants them to do and add to their faith. Oh, but that's not going to help their hearts. Jumping in and what you have to do first to try and sort yourself out and fix yourself up. It's not going to work, my friend. It doesn't last. That's the problem. That's certainly my experience and anybody who's experienced the Christian faith for some time. You try and make these promises. You try and make these commitments. You try and make these these resolutions to their work. They don't. Very long. After a couple of weeks. Your heart is still the same. And that's the problem is you haven't been able to engage your heart by going for your hands. That's not how this Christian faith works and Peter knows it. Friends, this loss of interest and loss of focus and this loss of motivation, it's a sickness of the heart. It's because the heart has lost sight of what is truly valuable. In your faith. You see, one of the most awful things in a Christian life is to try and live it half-heartedly. You know, the English language even gives us language for this condition. Is you can't do it. And Peter knows it. I know it. I cannot live out this Christian faith authentically and fully and experience all that it has for me if I am half-hearted. It doesn't work. And half-heartedness means Your heart is stuck between what it sees value in Christ as, you know, versus something else. There is something else that has gained its attention, that you've placed value on, that it's lost sight of in terms of faith and has put its sight on something else. That's where the trouble starts to come in. That's how half-heartedness begins to creep in. And that's the danger Peter wants to avoid in your life and mine. You see, that's what David prayed when he sinned with Bathsheba. He says, Lord, give me an undivided heart. What interested David was, yes, it was a bad thing to sleep with another man's wife and then murder him. Sure, that's really bad. But what was worth for him was, how did he get there? And David could see, oh, it was because his heart started to value other things more than God. He had lost his his undivided heart. And what we're talking about here is a wholeheartedness for Jesus. You see, that's what Peter is interested in. Is How can he keep his people's hearts wholehearted towards this God? There's only one way, is if you help the heart constantly see over and over and over, what is the treasure in our lives? What is of most value? What is priceless? Oh, that's where the heart's going to be. That's where it's pumping energy and will and motivation is going to attach itself to or going to flow in, is where it sees there's the most value in, or what has the most value to it. Now, I've taken a long time because, friends, what you need in your life more than anything, what I'm interested in more than anything today in your life and mine is to see how wonderful this faith is, is to see what God has done for you in Christ first. That's how you get your heart right, you marinate, you let it meditate, you let it delight in, you allow it to see the glory of the salvation and of Jesus. And what he's done for you and who you are to God and who God is to you. What you've received by faith. Friends, that's how you get your heart warm and soft and supple and excited and nourished and nurtured. It is seeing what Peter's saying first and foremost, the value of what you have in Jesus Christ. And when you see the value of it, oh, the heart begins to pump with this. And then you get to what you have to do for God. And this is the wisdom of Peter. Is, where's your heart today? And I don't mean it in, a, in a, a condemning way. I mean it in the way of saying, is your heart pumping with a delight in what God has done for you? That's the place you need to stay. That's the place which is safe for the believer. That's how you keep your motivation, interest and joy is the marvel and the wonder of this glorious faith you've received in Christ. Is that you this morning? Well, if not, that's where you start. That's the wisdom of Second Peter. Is Peter wants them to see how glorious and priceless their faith is because then he knows, then he knows that's what they're going to give their lives to. That's what they're going to lay down their life for. That's what's going to keep them motivated and interested. That's what's going to be the preeminent thing in their lives. Is if they can see the value of Christ, that's what they're going to go after. That's what he wants. So why should we see our faith as priceless? You see, in my first point, I've spoken about the need to see our faith as priceless, the wisdom of Peter in in helping our guys, helping his guys see this. But why? Why is our faith priceless today? Well, in verse 1, I'll read it to you again. It says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained, listen to these words, or receive, the word obtained and received can be, I prefer received, to those who have received a faith of equal standing with ours. Right in the first verse, Peter's already starting to point to how magnificent and precious this faith that these Christians have received. And his first point is pointing to this. He's saying, hey guys, Christians who are reading this letter today, the people I'm writing to you, is that your faith is of equal value to that of an apostle in Jesus Christ. Not just any apostle, but the leader of the 12 apostles, Peter himself, is saying, cause there is no difference to my faith in Jesus than yours. Now, if you just sit and think about it, and his readers, readers, I mean, what? Peter, are you sure? These are the apostles who walked with Jesus for three and a half years. This is the apostle John who got to lay his head upon Christ's chest. These are the apostles who got to hear him teach and preach and do signs and miracles and wonders. These were the hand-picked 12 men who were going to be the foundation for the establishment of the church. It's doctrine based on the cornerstone of Christ. These men were gonna be the foundational or the foundation layers of our of our faith. And Peter says, This guys, I just want you to know one thing: your faith is of equal value, of equal price, of equal preciousness to mine. Now, that's crazy. In other words, what Peter's saying is: your faith. Gives you the same access that I have to Jesus. In actual fact, because of this new covenant and the Holy Spirit inside of your heart, believe it today, your access to the presence of Christ goes way beyond those what those disciples had when he was with them in the flesh on earth. Because they could only get as much of his attention that he could give them in that moment. Now, through the Spirit as a believer, you have direct access 24/7 to the presence of Christ. It's incredible. And I'm sorry, Mr. Pope. He says he's the successor of Peter. We're the successors of Peter's faith too because we have a likeness, the same like precious faith as what he did. There is no difference. It's the most glorious thing that you can can allow yourself to enjoy is the fact that you don't need a Pope, you don't need a priest, you don't need a father, you don't need a vicar, you don't need a pastor, you don't need an elder to give you access to this glorious Jesus Christ in his presence because your faith is the same in value as even the apostles. Isn't that incredible? The same knowledge and revelation, which the faith of the apostles enabled them, is the same faith in you. Everything the apostles could understand in their lifetime, and there was a limit, is the same that you can understand. You can't go beyond what they got through their faith because your faith is equal to theirs. I'm not gonna go down all of that. But the bottom line is this, whatever they saw and understood about Christ is available to you. Oh, the power and the miracles that their faith in him! I mean, these guys raised people from the dead, saw visions, Prophesy, ministered in such power. Friends, that same faith that enabled that power in their lives is in you. Isn't that incredible? We have a lack, like precious faith to even the great apostles. And just think how radical this is today. Anybody watching, the humblest Christian, you might have no education, you might have no breeding, you might have no money, you might have no, no, no status in this world or significance. I want to say to you today, if you have this faith in Jesus, you have the most priceless gift greater than this world could ever offer and it's of equal standing to any other believer, including the 12 apostles. This is the glory of the gospel. Is your value to God? is exactly the same as an apostle because you have the same faith given to you as a gift. And this is, the, this is what Paul could say in Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. What Paul's saying is it doesn't matter what your language is, what the color of your skin is, what your intellect is, what your bank balance is, what your your reputation or your title is. It doesn't matter to God. What matters to God is do you have this faith? And if you have this faith in Christ, you have the greatest thing that you could possibly possess far greater than anything this world can offer you. And and friends, this is the message that we need to be holding out as believers today. I want to say to you today, this is the way we are to believe, not only about ourselves that we have an equal faith, but this is how we are to look at the world. You know, God is not interested in any way about the language that you speak. He's got no favourites. He's got no favourites. Sorry, English people. Sorry, Afrikaans people, closer people, Spanish, French. He's got no favouritism towards language. He's got no favouritism towards colour. He's got no favouritism towards background. He's got no favouritism towards ability. All he's interested in is do you have this faith in Jesus Christ? There's only one divide, whether you are in Christ or not. And he wanted the world, the world, to come to this place of faith in Jesus Christ. That is his interest. Is it ours? Do we just see color? Do we see gender? Do we see race? Do we see this? I want to say to you today, Christians, we must be careful in this politicized fishbowl that we are currently working in. We need to think according to the gospel. And the gospel is this. It has no favorites. The gospel shows no favoritism to race or culture or background or title or ability. All it's interested in is whether or not there's faith. Is that us? And do we have compassion? (laughs) on The person next to us who might look different or sound different, our concern is not any of that. Our concern is, do they know Christ? That's the the problem. That's their greatest problem. That was our greatest problem. That's what God is focused on, is do they know Christ? And let me tell you, in the church, God forbid that we would draw these categories of competence and who should get what and who should get what and what should say what. It doesn't matter. What matters is faith. We have received a faith of equal standing. Oh, I must move on. But it's not just the fact that we have received a faith of equal preciousness to these 12 apostles who were God's chosen leaders. But more than that is what we have received through this faith. To those who have obtained or received a faith of equal standing. what, What Peter is saying is almost too mighty for me to describe. Do you know, believer, what you have received in Christ? I feel helpless in some ways of trying to explain the magnitude. You've received justification through this faith. Do you know you've received something that no money, no reputation, and no merit or brilliance could ever produce, which is a position before God of not guilty. You've been justified. Everything in your life has been declared not guilty. You are forgiven. Oh, it is too priceless to even begin to unpack you stand before God with a clear conscience, accepted and received. There is no fear of death. There's no fear of the grave. There's no fear of the afterlife because you justify before God through faith in Jesus Christ. He has forgiven and washed and cleansed you from all sin. It's the greatest thing that can happen. And let me tell you, some men and women will give anything to bypass death. For the Christian, we see it as a rite of passage to glory because of this justification by faith. Knowing that we've received adoption, it's amazing. It says here that, that we've been given this incredible right, John chapter 1, to be called children of God. God loves you, not as a servant, not as just a part of his creation. He loves you as a son and daughter. You are called beloved, Jude 1 tells us, to those who are called beloved and kept by Jesus Christ. He has lavished his love upon you. You are of more dignity, of more worth than anybody else in this world. Don't worry what people acknowledge you for or not. You are acknowledged by God. Don't worry if people overlook you or not. You haven't been overlooked by God. You've been given the dignity of having the stamp of your, his, his adoption upon you. You have all the rights and privileges of being a part of the household of God. Who cares whether you made the first team rugby or not? Who cares whether or not you are the best at what you do or not? Who cares whether or not you get applauded ever for what you get to do in this life? If no one recognizes you, it doesn't matter. You've been recognized by God. You're his son and daughter. You have been given the dignity of being called beloved by the one who really matters. Ah, but faith also sanctifies you. I mean, you've been born again. This is the crazy thing. A Christian has experienced the new life of the Spirit. And in other words, why do we say you've been sanctified? You've been given a new nature, a clean, pure, wonderful nature on the inside. The old has gone. Scripture tells us the new has come. And because of this new nature, it gives you the power to live a changed life. Amen. It gives you the power to look more and more like Jesus. It gives you the power to be changed from one degree of glory to the next. No self help book will give it to you. No uh, clinical or, or psychological wisdom will be able to get, give you what this power of your faith enables in your life. It will change you if you will let it. It's powerful. Ah, but there's not only this, we're talking a lot about what we've received in this. Time. But this faith assures us of our glorification. Do you know that this world is passing away? It's not gonna be long before what truly is going to last forever is gonna be visible by sight. Though we believe it by faith now, let me tell you the greatest is yet to come in your life and you are secured for it in Christ. This faith has secured you to an eternal future. What can your bank balance truly buy? Buy you a nice car, buy a nice PS2 or 3 or whatever it is now, 50, whatever. It can buy you a nice house, or maybe a nice facelift. But let me tell you what, it can't buy you eternal life. And let me tell you what this faith has given you, has been giving you a kingdom, has given you a position that in the new heavens and new earth in which righteousness is going on, you're going to be in the presence of God forever. That's what this faith has enabled in your life. This is your destiny. Can anything in this world amount to that? No, you see, friends, this is the most glorious thing that's happened to us. It's this gift of faith. But I want to say to you, this is a gift. And I close my sermon to say this. the salvation is not of yourself. You were called to it. It was gifted to you. Jesus put it like this. You did not choose me. In other words, you didn't decide this was a good idea and find it on your own. No, no. I chose you and appointed you to bear fruit. John 15 verse 6. And he said before that in John chapter 6 verse 44, he says, don't think that this is of your own accord. He says, none come to the Father, but... To him, when he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter pops up, this very same Peter who wrote this letter, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He said, blessed are you, Peter, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Friends, with awe and wonder today, I want to say to you today, the reason why your faith is so precious is because God chose to give it to you. There were millions of other people and they're out there who don't know Jesus. They don't have what you have. Because God said, I wanted you. I've chosen you. And I'm entering into a realm I don't understand. I can't explain. But it is true, my friend. It is true. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Your spiritual capacity to understand God, respond to him and to please and live him was zero. You had no ability to grasp Christ and your need outside of the grace of God. You were utterly lost. And what God did one day is he came to you by the power of his spirit and it was a specific day that I'm going to prove right now. He chose the day of your salvation. He summoned you and he awakened you from your dead slumber, your dead sleep and he gave you newness of life. It's called awakening. And He began to open your eyes. It's called illumination to your sin. That's what Jesus said. It is the spirit who convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. You didn't know that yourself. You thought you were fine before God. You thought you had everything you needed. In actual fact, you hated him because he interfered with your life and your independence and how you wanted to live. Oh, but God came in on a day. He's opened, He opened your eyes, He helped you see this illumination of the Spirit of your need for Jesus. And this is why it's called the gift of faith. Because of all of this, he enables you to see, I need Christ, and I'm running, I choose Jesus. He enables the most logical decision of your life but he has awakened you to it he's opened your eyes to it he's given you the power to respond to it that's why this faith is a gift yes you respond to Christ but it's a foregone conclusion because Jesus for the first time is real you understand that this is the only hope and friend that faith has been given to you as a gift because you were called to it I don't understand it it's a mystery. It's just like prayer, like I shared last week. I don't understand it. I don't understand, if I use prayer again, I don't understand why God asks for prayer, because he doesn't need it. But he does ask for it. He's sovereign. He's totally sovereign. He knows the beginning from the end. And yes, although this is the case, he binds himself to prayer. He says, this is how I want to work, is I want to work through your prayers. I don't need them, but this is how I want to work. And this is how it works with salvation. Let me tell you, God doesn't need anybody to save another person. He has called, it's called the doctrine of election. I don't know how it works. Don't ask me to explain it to you, but it's true. His friend's salvation is all of God. It's initiated by God and enabled by God and given as a gift by God. God gets all the glory for your faith in Jesus Christ because he called you, he predestined you, he elected you, he said, I want you. I Don't ask me to explain why not everybody else. I don't know why. I don't know, it's a mystery, but I'll tell you what. He's chosen to lavish his love on you personally, individually. He said, I want you. I'm coming after you. And this is the truth of the greatness of God's love for you in Christ and the greatness of your salvation is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 46 is this. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Do you know what that means? It was before you created anything, he had you on his mind. He knew how he was going to make you. He had planned the day of your birth. And he knew exactly what Mm -hmm. he wanted to do with you. He knew how he wanted you to come to Christ. Before the foundation of the world, he chose you. He says, I don't know how it works, and ask me, I can't explain it. Out of all the people around you who don't know Christ, he says, I'm coming after you. I want you. And he goes on to say, Paul says, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. He predestined you. Out of all the people in the world, he said, I want you. I want you. Friends, the pricelessness of our faith is God rescued us. He came after us. I don't know why it was me. I don't know That's why it says, this is all of grace. I didn't deserve anything. God did not see anything in my life that made me worthy of the salvation. When he saw my life, I was lost like anybody else. But for some reason, I don't understand it. Don't ask me to explain it. God says, I want you. I'm calling you and I'm summoning you to myself. I choose you. I'm adopting you. And friends, this is why we don't cast our faith aside as being something frivolous is you have been appointed by God. Jesus says, I, you did not, I have chosen you and appointed you to go and bear good fruit. You have received the mark of grace from a God who could have chosen him. I don't understand it, I can't explain but he chose you. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you have received the greatest gift and it's all of God. And that again is a mystery. And we must be happy to live in these mysteries, this tension, Romans chapter nine, the whole massive chapter on election doesn't cancel Romans chapter 10, which is all about evangelism. How can a person have faith if he, if he can't hear and how they're gonna hear if someone's sent? Paul is affirming both. He bridges it with mystery. He says, don't worry about it. <laughs> God, yes, is sovereign to save. Ah, oh, but he uses us as means of that salvation. We, we understand that there's a doctrine of election. Ah, oh, but we also understand there's evangelism. Don't ask me how it works, but both work beautifully. As we are preaching Christ, so God is working. As we're working, God is working. As we are summoning guys to Christ, God is summoning guys to Christ. It's the most beautiful partnership ever. Ah, oh, but I want to tell you this. I want to say this to you. For some reason, it's a profound mystery. If you are a believer this morning, before the foundation of the world, God says, I'm gonna have mercy on you. I'm gonna give you Christ. And this is how it worked from that moment of conceptualizing you, putting together all of your your facial features and the way that you're gonna be as a person. When he created the world, he waited for the specific day and Jude 1 says says to those who are called, beloved by the Father, kept by Jesus Christ, he waited for the right day, the right moment when the perfect sperm would come and attach to the perfect oven. And Conception would take place. And then he put Christ to guard your life. He watched over the day of your birth. He watched over the difficult birth passage coming out of the womb. He made sure you're kept alive from disease. He shielded your life from disease, from disaster, from destruction, from the evil one. He watched over every experience until the day the father said, okay, it's time, Jesus. You've got to reveal me to them. And that's what Jesus said. Now can see the father unless I choose to reveal him. And the father says to Jesus, it's time. And Jesus then... He through his work. I, I don't understand it's a mystery. But we get to see the glory of Christ. He shows us the gospel. He shows us our sin and our need for Jesus. And he births us. He births us. The Father births us in Christ. And then he continues to keep us and guide us in Christ through unbelief, through hardships and trials and difficulties until we get to be with him with glory. Friends, this is the magnitude of the faith that you have. It is a work of God and it is altogether glorious. I don't understand it. I can't explain it, but it's true. So in the light of this glorious salvation, how can we neglect it? You see, when you start to see how valuable this faith is, you start to get to the essence of what Peter is going after. He says, when you see how valuable your faith is. It's, friends, what are you giving your life to today? What are you valuing? Can anything be in comparison to this? That's the question. That's what Peter's going for. He's saying, this is surely so worthwhile to pour your life out over. Surely your response to the love of God is to love him back. Surely the heart is melted by the mercy of God, the pricelessness of his grace upon our lives and the grandeur of what he has done for us. And this is where we start today, is we let our hearts be nourished and nurtured and marinated in the glory of grace. See, we don't deserve any others. That's the crazy thing. And legalism always tells you what you must do. That's where it starts. Legalism tells you, you have to do this. Grace starts by telling you who you are. We don't deserve it. That's why it's called grace. But it's ours by the will of God. And friends, how are you going to live your life? What are you going to value? Surely, this is where we see our worth, where we find our purpose, and what we want to give ourselves to. Let's pray. Lord, today, uh, I, we, it's beyond me, Lord, but I just wanna say, God, look at what you've done for us. It's amazing, it's incredible, it's phenomenal. We bless you for it, Lord. I pray for the heart that was cold today coming in. I pray that you would warm it this morning. Where we've lost sight through trials or tribulations or love of comfort or love of self lord love of this world where we become nearsighted i pray that you would shine the glory of our salvation into our hearts afresh and we would see the wonder of what it means to be called yours what's in store for us and how you're wanting us to apply lord i pray today let the hearts is cold be warm and let the warm heart that heard this message be hearts might we be a, a people in awe and wonder of this great salvation and what it means to have you, Jesus, in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.